Hello and welcome back to Maybank Kimming's ASEAN Speaks podcast. Coming right out of the Memorial Day long weekend, markets will head into the often weak month of June. Observers in our fixed income team will be fixated on this week's non-farm payrolls report and the FOMC meeting on 17th of June. The world will be scrutinizing for signals on what will stay the same, what will change, the dot plot and the timing of the taper. We don't expect any changes to the dot for 2021 and 2022, um, but for the dot for 2023, I think it's behind the curve. Currently, the market pricing, if you look at the Fed Funds futures, um, the first rate hike should come around mid of 2023. So if you look at the last FOMC in March, seven out of um, the 18 um, participants actually expect a rate hike in um, 2023, which is a minority, but I think they might slowly become the majority. Focusing back on key developments in ASEAN's capital markets, our equity strategists are forecasting 15% downside for Thailand's stock market because of the latest round of COVID breakout. With central bank rates almost at zero, we will address what other avenues are available to Thailand to pump prime its economy. And finally, as Malaysia heads for a nationwide total COVID lockdown, our banking team will also address the issue if we may see a redux of the loan moratoriums in MCO 1.0 and its implications on the banking sector. So we hope you will enjoy the conversations today. Suhami Elias from our economics desk will moderate the show from here on. Hi, good morning, everyone. Uh, let's start with uh, Winston. Um, your latest ASEAN X macro, as, as I said, is a preview of the US Fed FOMC meeting on 15, 16 June. Uh, what are your expectations on the outcome of the meeting? And I guess, uh, importantly, in view of the recent spike in US inflation rate, do you see changes in guidance or signaling by Fed, especially on its uh, Fed fund rates and QE? Hi, morning, Suhaimi. Yeah, um, the Fed will hold the next FOMC meeting in about two weeks' time, the mid of June. There are three things I want to highlight from our report is uh, what we think should stay the same. The second is what might change. And finally, what is our thought on QE taper? So regarding the first one, what should stay the same is um, I think the midpoint of the target range for the Fed funds rate should stay at 0.1%. And the pace of asset purchase currently at about $120 billion per month for uh, Treasury securities and agency MBS should stay the same as well. And also in June's meeting, the Fed is going to refresh its quarterly uh, economic forecast for uh, GDP, inflation, unemployment rates. And because there were already significant economic upgrades in March, so I don't think they will make major changes in June as well, even though there could be minor tweaks here and there. And moving to the second part is uh, what might change. I think there are two key things. One is the language, um, and second is the dot plot. Regarding the language, I don't think they will guide for immediate QE taper or um, any rate changes. But in terms of minor change to the language, um, because in the US, given the vaccination progress at advanced stage, uh, diminishing threat of virus infections, and also the economy is reopening, I think the statement might actually tone down is concerned about the public health crisis and the risk to the economy. Although it will continue to put a caveat there and say, okay, there's uncertainty surrounding the future path of the economy because of COVID. But I think it will tone down the threat. And second, coming to the dot plot, um, currently the Fed actually expect the midpoint 
of the target range at 0.1% until at least 2023. So almost over the next um, two to three years, which is very dovish. We don't expect any changes to the dot for 2021 and 2022. Um, but for the dot for 2023, I think it's behind the curve. Currently, the market pricing, if you look at the Fed Funds futures, um, the first rate hike should come around mid of 2023. So if you look at the last FOMC in March, seven out of um, the 18 um, participants actually expect a rate hike in um, 2023, which is a minority, but I think they might slowly become the majority. And I do expect that coming to June, uh, FOMC, uh, because they only provide forecasts on a quarterly basis, I expect them to ship a dot um, for 2023 as early as June. If not June, I think that would be uh, September. And regarding our thoughts on QE taper, um, what could be the trigger? There have always been two things they look at, are the key ones like the inflation and labor market conditions. But I think for the decision of QE taper, um, the labor market condition actually holds key. Even though inflation presents upside risk, um, but for inflation to be deemed sustainable, I think we need to see a substantially repaired um, job market. So if payroll gains, the non-farm payroll continue to increase uh, at 520,000 per month, which is a three-month average for the past three months, uh, we expect the QE taper top to actually start heating up in the next one to a three months. And in terms of the timeline, I would look at it in this way. One, they will make subtle change in the language, uh, implying they have an open mind um, to have QE taper as early as July, and then followed by a tapering announcement in December for the start of reduction in the pace of asset purchase in um, early uh, 2022. Um, and finally, uh, are there any risks of uh, QE taper? A market actually had a tantrum for bonds uh, earlier in the year in February and March. I think if they can provide early communication, the Fed can provide early indication what is their playbook, I think it will help to mitigate the taper tantrum risk unless the economy overheating risk forces their hand to accelerate the tightening path. Uh, moving on to ASEAN Micro, um, start with Harbin uh, on Singapore's economy. Uh, final Singapore's first quarter 2021 GDP uh, came in stronger than flash estimate, but uh, there are tighter containment measures in recent weeks. So do you see downside risk to full-year GDP growth? Yeah, hi, morning, Swami. Yeah, so currently we are maintaining our growth forecast at 6.2%. Um, that is above the government's range of 4 to 6%, and we're quite comfortable with it. Um, I think, you know, three points. One is... As you highlighted, the flash, the, the actual one first quarter GDP was upgraded to 1.3%. Uh, the flash estimate was only 0.2. So that's much stronger than expected. Uh, some of the surprises on the upside was actually financial, which grew 4.7. Infocom grew 6.4. Wholesale trade up 3.5. And even accommodation surprised with 19% growth, I think largely because of the quarantine requirements. Uh, so I think we're pretty comfortable with that. Um, second, we were a bit worried about the, you know, what, whether the heightened measures will... Um, will be extended, but I think um, it, it doesn't look that way. Finance Minister Lawrence Wong has already come up to say that uh, the measures are working. COVID cases has dropped to the latest number to 19 yesterday, 19 community cases. That's down from almost 40 two weeks ago. 
uh, with uh, six unlinked cases. Um, and I think the Prime Minister Lee will be, um, you know, speaking at four o'clock today to high outline the reopening and the, you know, the vaccination strategy. So it looks like I presume there will be some kind of announcement, not a complete relaxation from 13 June onwards. Uh, so there's there's still another two weeks to go, but I think some kind of a gradual relaxation. Um, over the weekend, also they have also been expanding the wage support for more sectors uh, like retail and so on. And I think lastly. Um, you know, we just have to bear in mind that this uh, this heightened restrictions come in the face of reopening in the US, you know, UK, Europe, and Singapore is largely dependent on external rather than domestic demand. And the exports and manufacturing trade side is still doing very well. So that will help offset some of the domestic slowdown from the heightened measures. And bear in mind that FDMB is actually only 1% of GDP. Um, so, and, and retail is actually only about 2% of GDP. So, and also, of, of course, the Workers' shortages will also affect construction, uh, roughly about four percent of GDP. But for the most part, you know, 80, 90 percent of the economy, I think, is still humming along. Thanks, Abid. Um, Juye, uh, I want to cover Indonesia and Thailand macro. Start with Indonesia first. Uh, Bank Indonesia kept its uh, policy rate as expected last week, but I guess the issue or the elephant in the room is really the monetary policy transmission from BI rate to banks. Lending rate is low. Uh, bank lending is still falling uh, despite the regulatory easing on bank lending for property and auto sectors recently. Uh, question is, what else can BI do to improve the monetary policy transmission and boost uh, credit growth? Good morning, everyone. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, as you rightly mentioned, uh, monetary policy transmission has been pretty weak. Uh, bank loans have fallen for the seventh straight month in April by minus 2.3%. And the governor uh, did reiterate in the latest monetary policy meeting that lenders should do more to lower interest rates and expand lending. Um, in addition to the easing of loans uh, for property and auto sectors that you mentioned, um, last week, BI also announced that it will cut the maximum interest rate on credit cards to 1.75% per month uh, from the original 2%, effective uh, 1st July, in order to support this uh, interest rate policy transmission. Besides that, uh, earlier in April, BI has uh, strengthened the prime lending rate transparency in the banking industry. Uh, it's been requiring banks to publish their prime lending rates so that the public and corporate sector can compare the rates offered by different banks as well. I think rather uh, it's not just on the reluctance of the bank's side, but sluggish demand may also have been a factor for the decline in loans. Uh, but Consumer confidence has recently seen an uptick, and that may help to support loan growth in the coming months. Uh, BI's uh, latest survey uh, done in the first quarter of the year found that demand for new loans are rising, especially uh, for consumer loans, including housing, motor vehicle, and credit card loans. I mean, on uh, Thailand, uh, first quarter GDP, there's improvement in the sense of shallowing recession. But we have this uh, third wave of COVID-19 infection, which is... Could be a potential dampener on recovery outlook. What's the official macro outlook versus ours? And essentially, what's the policy options and measures available to address the downside risk to recovery since you know, Bank of Thailand's policy interest rate is almost zero? Uh, yeah, Thailand's uh, GDP did decline for the fifth straight quarter. In the first quarter, it was a minus 2.6% year on year, uh, a slight improvement from the minus 4.2% in the fourth quarter. Uh, the NESDC uh, has downgraded its 2021 GDP forecast. Uh, the range is now at 1.5 to 2.5% from the previous 25 to 
Uh, they have also slashed their tourist arrival estimates to just 500,000 arrivals from the previous 3.2 million. Uh, my focus is currently at 2.7%, uh, which is uh, slightly uh, above the high end of the official range. Uh, on what other measures can be done to support the economy, I mean, uh, as you mentioned, BOT's, uh, BOT doesn't have sufficient mon uh, monetary policy space and we expect it to keep the policy rate at 0.5% throughout the year. Um, this would hence shift the burden to fiscal policy as well as macroprudential measures. And the government last week uh, has announced further fiscal stimulus uh, with an executive degree to authorize an additional 500 billion baht in public borrowing. Uh, that's around 3% of GDP. Um, out of this, 300 billion will be used to compensate people or businesses which were affected by COVID. Another 170 billion for projects aimed at helping businesses retain their employees. And uh, the remain, remaining 30 billion would be to buy vaccines as well as medical equipment. Uh, besides fiscal policies, I mean, uh, BOT has also announced uh, another phase of debt relief measures. This is the third phase, uh, which will support individual borrowers uh, covering around four consumer loan products, which would be unsecured credit card and personal loans, auto hire purchase loans, uh, as well as mortgages. Thanks, Yui. Um, lastly, on micro, uh, Linda, Vietnam, uh, that will be the first uh, country within ASEAN actually to release second quarter GDP, I think on 29th of June. I think on the basis of the latest economic data and amid this uh, fourth wave of COVID-19 outbreak and low and slow vaccination, how do you see the economy form in this quarter? Okay, um, thank you, Swami. Um, yeah, so for Vietnam, um, for now, we are still maintaining our full-year GDP growth forecast um, at 6.5% for this year. But we are seeing downside risks emerging from this recent uh, recent change in the COVID cases. The latest fourth wave uh, has turned out to be the most severe outbreak that Vietnam has seen so far, with total number of cases um, right now slightly above 4,000 as of yesterday. Uh, this surpasses the size of the previous waves, um, with with targeted restrictions really reimposed in parts of the country. And uh, we observed that the mobility metrics also suggest that people movements have fallen to around 27% below the pre-COVID cases, uh, pre-COVID levels. The economic data that were released over the weekend um, showed some moderation in the industrial and production as well as um, export growth. For me, um, we think this was partly due to the fading pandemic low-based effects as well as the recent fall of COVID outbreak, which impacted the productions at a number of of industrial parks in the northern parts of the country. Manufacturing growth um, softened this month on the back of a broad-based easing in both electronics and non-electronics. Apart from the COVID disruption, um, I think the global chip shortage as well as rising transport costs due to longer delivery time shortage of containers uh, may also be contributing to the softer um, electronics expansion. Uh, most other non-electronics were also broadly softer led by, uh, led by output declines in repair maintenance of machineries and equipments as well as uh, beverages. Output for um, some of the previous underperformers um, such as furniture, leather products and garments um, as well as um, motor vehicles were actually less impacted by this latest round. Uh, we are also seeing similar trends for exports um, uh, easing um, as the pandemic low-base effect dissipate. Um, 
Growth was still considerably solid at 35.6% this month, uh, mainly driven by um, robust exports for machinery, equipment, textile garments, as well as telephones. The downside surprise was actually for the exports for computers and electronics, uh, which um, the, with growth actually easing to um, slowest pace in 16 months, which again could be suggesting some of this impact from the COVID disruptions as well as the chip shortage. Um, so in terms of the late, um, for the second quarter GDP, um, we are expecting um, GDP growth to come in at around 6% for 2Q. Um, this largely reflects the low base as GDP for Vietnam was almost flat during the second quarter last year amidst the pandemic lockdown. I, I think the risk for tighter restrictions or partial lockdown of the industrial zone heavy promises remain uh, given that daily new cases are still elevated and showing no signs of abating. And this could potentially delay Vietnam's economic recovery this year. We have so far mainly been driven by the key manufacturing sector. Thanks, uh, Linda. Uh, let's move on to uh, equity side. Uh, I want to bring investment uh, into the discussion uh, since uh, you know, Malaysia entering a two-week lockdown uh, tomorrow. Um, so the question is, I guess, really what will be the impact to the banking sector? And I also want to know whether there is going to be a return of MCO 1.0 type of banking measures, especially on the loan moratorium, because certainly there's a lot of uh, requests for for a return of the, the kind of moratorium that we had uh, last year by you know, industries and businesses in the media. Yeah, morning. So essentially with regards to uh, the return uh, into a lockdown phase itself, we've looked at the impact of banks from a credit cost perspective because the main impact from the lockdown in March to June last year was essentially on uh, asset quality per se. So in our scenario analysis, what we had assumed is that the credit costs in 2021 actually remains as elevated as they were in 2020. And then we shifted the 2021 uh, credit cost assumptions into 2022 itself. So the overall impact to the earnings of our banks would be a 10% downgrade in this year's earnings and 7% for 2022 itself, which does seem manageable at this point in time. And I'd like to point out that this is predominantly because we have uh, maintained fairly eleva elevated credit costs into, into this year itself, in that if you take a look at the aggregate Credit cost last year was about 81 basis points for the banks within our coverage. This year itself, we were looking at about 60 basis points. So um, with the increase back to about 81 basis points for across the board, then essentially um, the impact is a little bit more manageable this time around at a 10% uh, downgrade to earnings per se. ORES essentially will come off in that we're looking at it declining to about 7 percent this year from 7.8 percent and to 8.6 percent next year from 9.2 percent itself. I think um, coming back to your question on the loan moratorium, essentially at this stage I don't think there will be a blanket moratorium uh, per se, um, although it's really up to the government to decide. But you know, we do have a targeted loan moratorium still in place until the end of June, and this is essentially for the unemployed. Whereas those who have seen their salaries affected by COVID can apply for uh, payment relief assistance as well. I think what will happen then is the extension of this loan moratorium beyond the uh, June deadline itself. And in fact, 
um, it will carry on, I think, as long as um, there is a need for uh, financial assistance to these particular groups. So it's really a wait and see to see whether it, a blanket moratorium would be imposed. Um, at this point in time, I don't think it would be. Thanks, Les. I think several banks have already announced they are extending their targeted loan moratoriums and repayment assistance uh, in view of uh, what's going on right now. Um, lastly, uh, Rachel, uh, we'd like to get an update from you on Philippines' uh, banking sector outlook, especially in terms of uh, loan growth situation, NPL plus uh, any other earnings drivers. And with that, which banks would you recommend uh, to investors? Hi, good morning. Um, so um, we retain our neutral call on the banking sector as fundamentals remain challenged. So having finished the first quarter earnings season, here's we have learned. Here's what we have learned so far. So the banks have relatively weak loan growth in the first quarter, with loans declining by one percent year on year to as much as seventeen percent year on year. So the weakness can be attributed to the deferred capex employment, deployment, and the general deceleration in consumer spending, given still high unemployment rates in the country. So given this, we expect recovery to extend to the second half and cut our 2021 loan growth forecast to 1% to 6.5% from 6 to 8% previously. So we expect loan growth to accelerate in 2022 on pent-up demand. In relation to trading gains, most banks under our coverage beat our 2021 trading gains forecast in the first quarter. The outperformance was largely as a result of the banks recognizing residual mark-to-market gains following last year's steep rate decline. However, we expect the first quarter of 2021 to be the strongest quarter because rates are already starting to pick up. Meanwhile, the create impact to the banks have been a mixed bag, bag due to the bank's different adoption of um, booking methods of their deferred tax assets last year. So BPI, Security Bank, and PNB reported very low or even negative tax rates as a result of their booking DPAs at 30%, resulting from their high provisioning, a non-deductible expense in the tax books. BDO and Metro Bank, on the other hand, fully expensed 30% of their pre-provision operating profit and recognized no deferred tax assets in relation to their respective bookings in 2020. So given these differences in interpretation, first quarter showed a negative surprise for BPI, Security Bank, and PNB in terms of one-time expense corresponding to the reversal of DPAs for the difference of 30% and 25% under the CREATE law. So this resulted in a very high effective tax rate in the first quarter, exceeding 40%. But MBT and BDO, on the other hand, began reaping the benefits of lower tax rates already in the first quarter. So we expect effective tax rates to permanently decline by 150 basis points to 200 basis points across the banks, which we have already imputed in our forecasts. Lastly, um, while we, we still expect um, NPL ratio to peak in the second quarter or third quarter as the impact of the moratoriums will be fully cleared by May 2021 and taking into consideration as well the impact of their lockdown reimpositions in the country. Nevertheless, the slower-than-expected NPL growth in the first quarter, if sustained, could lead to less provisioning for the year and a surprise upside in earnings. 
All the banks under our coverage reported provisions which are lower than our forecast due to the lower slowdown in NPL for nation in the first quarter. Nonetheless, as NPS peak in the second quarter and third quarter, banks could still ramp up provisioning um, a bit more slowly to rebuild NPL coverages. So, yes, despite we have having this neutral call on the sector, we have a buy call on BPI, which we upgraded from hold to a buy with a target price of 94 pesos, as we factor in lower funding costs and taxes in our forecast. In addition, um, to attractive upside, BPI's digitalization initiatives should complement its growth and bring about higher fees and lower costs in the future. So as BPI finalizes its merger with, it, with its thrift bank, BPI Family Savings Bank, it can also close down redundant branches to save costs. Meanwhile, we also have a buy call on BDO, given its scale, lending appetite, and strong CASA franchise. And lastly, a buy call on PND, given cheap valuations. So that's it for me.